This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, this is the Finding Holy Podcast, a new podcast where we connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of the newly released book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. This first season, we're talking about how to belong to our places. Our places aren't just where we're located, they shape our hearts. Though we all live in cities, suburbs, towns, and rural countryside, we also have online lives. How do we live online well? Here's why you should listen. Do you find yourself reaching for your phone when you have a minute of silence? I know I do. It seems that today we're drawn to online spaces, yet we're unsure how to operate well in them. Do we lob our political statements across enemy lines on Facebook? Do we mindlessly scroll through Instagram or passive-aggressively tweet on Twitter? In this first episode of the Finding Holy podcast, I sit down to talk with Alan Noble, author of the book Disruptive Witness. We talk about everything from Twitter, Instagramming your hike, to best practices online. We talk about his book, ironing, dressing nicely, and doing the laundry. Here's a bit about our guest. Dr. O. Ellen Noble is Assistant Professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University. He's the Editor-in-Chief of Christ and Pop Culture and author of Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age, published by InterVarsity Press. Dr. Noble has published articles in The Atlantic, Vox, First Things, and BuzzFeed. He lives with his wife and three children. Here's why you should stick around. I'm going to give you three questions for you to discuss with your spouse or small group. Three little steps to consider how to connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. Without further ado, here's my interview with Alan. I am super excited to welcome Alan Noble to the Finding Holy podcast. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited. Um, excited to do this. Yes, and you get to be my very first guest. So this is awesome. Thanks for taking a chance on a new podcast where we are connecting the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. So, oh my I want, goodness, the first I know. one. That's, I know. That's like that's a lot of pressure. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, man. You win a prize. Okay. <laughs> um, but I did want to just talk for a minute before. So the whole point of the Finding Holy podcast is really to take all of these big ideas and the things that matter and distill them into what does it look like in our practical everyday life. And this first season, we're mm-hmm. going to really talk about what does that look like in terms of place and belonging. And you just came out with mm-hmm. a book called Disruptive Witness. Yeah. It is a fabulous book. Highly recommend it. We'll have all the details in the show notes. But I did just want to allow you to talk briefly about those two terms. What is disruptive? What is witness? Why is this the message that the world needs, Alan? <laughs> well, um, so the, the the premise of the book is 
sort of the, the traditional way, or at least the, the way I grew up thinking about evangelism um, broadly, whether that was intentional evangelism where you're knocking on doors or you're just having conversations with, with your non-Christian friends. Um, the traditional way I had been taught evangelism, mm-hmm. um, I I fear that it, it is not nearly as um, effective at penetrating people's hearts and minds as um, I had been led to believe or as was the case maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the example I like to give is if you imagine a scenario where I sit down with um, an unbelieving friend uh, for some coffee and we sort of casually start talking about the gospel and, uh, or, or, you know, I bring it up and I'm using all of the strategies, all the verses, um, uh, that I've been trained to, to use in these sort of gospel conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. and as he's bringing up objections, I'm sort of pulling out all the responses I've been trained to memorize. And Mm -hmm. it's a really, uh, vibrant conversation. It gets heated at times, gets exciting. And, uh, and then we wrap up and we, you know, get up and shake hands and, you know, so I'll see you later. Now, as we leave the table, um, I leave feeling pretty good. I feel like right. that was a, a meaningful conversation. Some, I got to really share the gospel in a, in a way that, uh, you know, I hit, hit these important doctrinal points mm-hmm. and he asked hard questions and I had these answers and, uh, um, so I hop on Twitter and I tell people, Hey, you know, uh, just had this awesome opportunity to share, uh, the gospel. And, um, so I let all my, you know, all my people know right. what I was able to do. And then, and then I kind of get distracted about what's going on. Cause there's always some chaos going on on social mm-hmm. media. Now my friend gets up from the table and, you know, he's walking to his car and he's thinking, man, I'm really happy for Alan. I, you know, I think that that Christianity thing, that church is working out really well for him and his family. They seem to be happy and um, that's great. That's really good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really content right now with, uh, with my CrossFit um, or, um, my you know, my organic, exactly my organic eating or, right. uh, you know, my political activism, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm really caring for the poor. Um, and, uh, and then he hops on his phone and whatever sort of penetrating questions I was able to ask mm-hmm. sort of evaporate mm-hmm. because, because he doesn't feel and frankly, I probably in that scenario don't feel that the conversation is something of ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose and ultimate, you know, um, significance. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of it. And that, that I ascribe to secularism. And, and then the other part is that, you know, he hops on his phone and there's something else interesting to think about. So right. any anxiety that I created in him by talking about sin or, you know, the need for redemption you can kind of just shrug off because there's mm-hmm. so many more interesting things to do and to look at and to read and watch and listen to. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right, that we can either be distracted or we don't think that those sorts of interactions actually have any ultimate transcendent meaning. Uh, so what in your own life really kind of brought this idea up to the fore that this is something that you had to write about? Was it one of these actual stories? Uh, no, not, not as, as such, but just thinking about interacting with, with people I knew, whether it was students, um, friends, uh, and comparing my daily interactions with people who I thought were, and I still think were, you know, thoughtful people in general, 
comparing those two stories uh, in particular that I had read or heard about from um, Francis Schaeffer's work, where people were mm-hmm. coming to him from all over the world in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. to meet with him in his little communes, Labrie, right. uh, to ask him big questions about life. You know, these hippies, these Buddhists, these uh, Hindus, these lapsed Christians were coming and they were hungry to talk about why we exist and what we should do about that. Mm-hmm. And then I looked around at the people I knew who, again, I, I, I thought were, you know, these were pretty thoughtful people and I'm just not seeing that. I mean, they could get worked up about certain issues and they might get worked up about debating God's existence, but they just didn't seem to be that same kind of hunger for answers to life's big questions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and so I started asking, well, why is that? What had changed? And and technology seemed to me to be part of the answer to that question of mm-hmm, what changed. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, in what ways have you found yourself plagued by some of these same problems of infinite distraction or the idea that Christianity is just one idea, one lifestyle choice amongst many? So um, some people write books because they are gurus. They've um, identified some problem in their life, mm-hmm. and then they've like conquered it, and they're here to to you know give a speech from the mountaintop to save you from your problems because <laughs> they are the uh, the model, right. and I am not a guru. Right. Um, so this book was was directly inspired by uh, my own experiences. So, for example, um, you know I acutely feel. Um, this dynamic where when I have anxiety in life, I want to grab my phone Mm -hmm. or I want to get online. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easier for me to deal with the chaos of, for example, the political world or a debate within evangelicalism. That's easier for me to cope with than for me to be silent with myself and Mm -hmm. ask the question, uh, where in my life do I need spiritual growth? That kind Mm -hmm. of basic reflection that should be part of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's uncomfortable. It's not, it's not fun. It right. hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it requires change. So I've seen it, you know, yeah. So I've seen it with things like that. Um, I see it, um, in writing this book during, you know, the, the last presidential election, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was really difficult because I had this, <laughs> tension between recognizing that something literally historical, I mean, every presidential election is Mm -hmm. historical in some sense, but this was something Mm -hmm. very different. Yes. And a lot of it was being live tweeted, literally live tweeted. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, so on on one hand, I'm feeling this sense of uh, if I'm not there to witness this, I'm missing out on something historic. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. And, and what obligation do I have to my students to be mm-hmm. visibly wrestling with these things that will impact people's lives in this country and, mm-hmm. and globally? Um, and so how do I balance that? And so, um, yeah, there, there are, there are, <laughs> it, it definitely came out of my own experience. Right. Yes. That's exactly why I wrote my book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. It was the same kind of wrestling tension and trying to figure out how does the gospel of Jesus affect my place, my interactions, you know, where I am online. And I would love to just think you quote um, 
Taylor a lot, obviously. He's kind of your guide throughout your yeah. book. Um, but you talk about this human desire to hide from ourselves as being pretty innate and talking about opening yourself up to the possibility of directed thought or undirected thought rather. Mm. Um, so yeah. I, I would love to know how do you, on the one hand, stay present in virtual space um, and the, the other hand, allow yourself like those uncomfortable moments you were talking about of silence or self-reflection. What does that balance look like for you maybe on a, on a normal day? Yeah. Um, it's a constant, first of all, it's a constant battle. And part of the reason it's a constant battle is that it, it's hard to create good habits mm-hmm. when news travels insanely fast, mm-hmm. things change insanely fast, and technology innovates really quickly. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I set up this, this, you know, this, um, this habit, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to set uh, the new iOS, for example, so I, uh, on my iPhone allows me to set limits. So maybe I could say, okay, you know, an hour on Twitter a day, I'm going to set up a limit. And now mm-hmm. that's what my phone will allow me. Uh, but the problem is in like three months, there's going to be some other app. Um, and there's always going to be something else Mm -hmm. and there's always going to be some other news thing, Mm -hmm. which makes it really hard for us. I think compared to like, you know, historically our lives were pretty much the same every single day Mm -hmm. throughout most of human history. Like you got up, you farmed and you went to bed. (laughs) That was it. So you could set up these nice habits of like, okay, Mm -hmm. every day I get up at five and you know, I do these things and um, so, so first off, I'll say it's a constant struggle. And I think anyone who wants to be intentional about, um, having space for undirected thought is going to have to not only try to set up habits, but be ready to adjust those habits mm-hmm. constantly because things are going to change. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm, uh, I, I try to have time in the morning and in the evening where I'm, I'm praying. I've been using the um, common book prayer, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's that's kind of uh, helpful to just have some as a direction structured. for your day and yeah. bookends for your day. Yeah, right. And then there's a lot of times where it makes complete sense. Like I don't have to do any work. So undirected thought, you know, they're perfect opportunities for undirected thought. So for example, I walk to work. Mm-hmm. Um, my habit, my, my desire is to be listening to music while I'm walking home mm-hmm. because I feel mentally drained and I honestly don't want to keep thinking about stuff. Right. Um, but those are good opportunities for mm-hmm. me to just walk with my thoughts. Yes. Um, so tell me a little you. bit more about that. I think I found the discipline of walking a way to kind of work anxiety out and work faith in um, and to also just yeah. pay attention to my actions actual physical space. So take a minute, just tell us a little bit about where you live, maybe what those walks look like and how they help you kind of detach from um, some of those, you know, very practical realities of being always present in the news cycle. So um, I live in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and I am, my house is almost literally across the street from campus. So it's about a 15 minute walk. And mm-hmm. um, from my door to my office, about a five-minute walk to the edge of campus, and that's a nice that's a nice walk because I'm not usually interrupted. Other times, I like to walk a good loop around campus during the middle of the day. And when I do that, um, 
I tend to have my earbuds in, not so because I need to listen, but just because I need, um, I don't particularly want to be interrupted. Right. Um, it's which a is maybe signal. a little antisocial. <laughs> yeah. I don't, right. you know, it's, yeah, it's not the most social thing, but, but then there's also this tension of, well, um, other times during the day, it's right. like my open office hours where people are constantly coming in. I'm constantly being emailed and right. I'm teaching classes. And this is kind of like my way of signaling to people. Um, I'm just going to walk and think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a helpful time. Uh, you know, it's, it's harder to read things on your phone while you're walking. It's totally right. doable, but you know, um, so I found, especially when I'm, when I want to write something or I'm preparing a, mm-hmm. a talk or mm-hmm. just getting out and walking, mm-hmm. you know, it just you know, pumps blood to the vein, you know, to your brain. And, um, yes. yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's a very good, it's a good practice if you live in a climate where that's actually feasible. Right. I would agree. I would agree here in Southern California, we can walk every day of the year. So at least we've got that going yeah, for us. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but you do talk and you talk about Taylor's idea of excarnation, about moving from embodied forms of worship to thinking like faith is all in our heads. And I think some yeah. of the practices like walking, like sitting down and reading the Book of Common Prayer can be things that kind of ground us that are countercultural to always being available, to filling ourselves up with internet noise. Um, what would you recommend for listeners about just something that they could maybe get started that could help? either ground them in their place or get out of their own head, uh, things, any good practices or ideas? So I've been convicted that the way we interact with the natural world um, tends to be very disordered in, uh, in, our, in our culture. And mm-hmm. that's a place where um, if we attend to nature, Mm-hmm. Um, we are forced out of our own heads and upward to, toward gratitude toward God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best, you know, the model for this is is David. Um, you know, David, you know, in the Psalms, he's tending his sheep, mm-hmm. and he'll write these beautiful Psalms where he's he's really just laying back at night, um, and he's overwhelmed with the natural world, and he mm-hmm. sees the stars and the moon, mm-hmm. and then he reflects back to all the beautiful things that he's seen in nature, the beautiful and, and awesome and frightening and vast things, the things that are, are miraculous, mm-hmm. and um, it absolutely forces him outside of himself to recognize God's constant provision and love for him. And that turns into a form of, uh, of prayer and of, of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I think that experience that David writes about fairly often in, um, in the Psalms is weird or very different for for most modern people so for example when we go out into quote nature uh, we might go camping Mm -hmm. um but often when we go out and we're going camping uh, the natural world the wilderness becomes a sort of adventure space for us right it's It's not a space space where we consume really i mean just for a different exactly Mm mm-hmm Exactly. Yeah. And, and you see this, especially with a lot of extreme sports, instead of being uh, inspired by the uh, a sense of awe at seeing a vast cliff, uh, we're thinking about, uh, you, know, you know, rock climbing right? mm-hmm. and conquering that mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when we see a beautiful lake, we're thinking, you know, water skiing. Uh, and, and so like nature becomes this thing for us to consume, for us mm-hmm. to do stuff on, mm-hmm. on top of, to pull resources from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So we're going about our day. So yes, we're like practical. So right. what this I think means practically is um, all of us, have moments throughout our day when we, you know, when we see plants, when we see other humans, right? This is part of the created world. Mm -hmm. And we have an opportunity to see them as um, part of what God created as good and turn that observation into gratitude toward God. And so I think that's a, that's a, just a very practical habit that Mm -hmm. we can have, um, if we decide to be intentional, that can help us um, get out of our heads mm-hmm. um, and out of our self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. And the challenge there too is to be able to sit with some of those sorts of things rather than like, well, I can't Instagram it, right? If I'm not conquering it or, <laughs> you know, I can't tweet about my great walk if I didn't have some amazing epiphany. Um, so I think yeah. Yeah, the challenge too probably is to refrain from a lot of those moments that we could always just be kind of puffing ourselves up on technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, um, so our tendency is to mediate everything through mm-hmm. social media and through technology. So it's hard to just go out into the wilderness or even to our front yard and see something beautiful and not be like, Oh man, I got to take a picture of that. Like, right. um, yeah. And even when we don't, right. So let's say I decide to go for a hike and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally not even going to take an Instagram picture of this. Right. Right. <laughs> um, we can be thinking like, uh, man, I am really attuned to nature and, right. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, mm-hmm. when I get back, I'm going to, I'm going to do a Facebook post about how valuable it is to just, right. <laughs> you know, go out into the woods. And so it's still us mediating our experience of the created world through, right. Not just other people, which has always been the case, but through uh, creating a brand identity, which is Mm -hmm. formally posted on uh, the Internet. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and and that's not to say that it's it's certainly not the case. It's always wrong to post about natural things or uh, experiences that you've had. I'm not anti-technology, but... um, that's our default. I guess what I'm right. just saying is like, let's, what if it's not our default? What if right. that's not what we always mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. How about, mm-hmm. let's start there. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we're just turning all of our places into a story about the self. Yes, that's right. Everything is a narrative and we are the center of the narrative. Yes. Even when it's about God, even when we shape right. it, it's, you know, it's sort of like our relationship to God. So it's still fundamentally our narrative. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Um, I would love to know for you to do you have any kind of best practices for your own technological distracted soul and any ideas that we could maybe pass on? I mean, you said, right, every, you know, the technology is changing. So we don't really know. Yeah. We can't have hard and fast rules. But yeah. what are, you know, how do we interact in online spaces uh, in a way that, you know, you are doing your very best to kind of engage people as whole people, even though they're, you know, mm-hmm. they are, you know, we're all virtual in some ways and we are all telling the best stories about ourselves. But, you know, what kind of attitude or how do we go about belonging to virtual spaces maybe is a better way to, to phrase that. Um, mm. 
by virtue of where we live, when we live right now, we have virtual selves to some extent and we have actual physical selves that are complex and challenging and messier than a kind of our virtual selves. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we go about this virtual self in authentic ways that represents Christ that is, you know, hopefully outward facing and not simply just telling a story about how great we are and how amazing our hike was. Yeah. It's a constant challenge. It's not, it's not easy. Uh, One thing to consider is that uh, what we're experiencing is something different in quality, but not really different in kind. Mm -hmm. So if we were living a hundred years ago, we would have been writing letters to good friends and that would have been a, uh, a written version. Yeah, right. Yeah, it would have been a written version of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it would have been far fewer people. It would not have been public, mm-hmm. but we would have written to family members and close friends. Um, and that practice would have been pretty, for, for a lot of people, it would have been pretty regular. Um, uh, you know, similarly, you know, we would have called people on the phone and Certainly talking on the phone is more embodied because it's uh, temporal, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not posted in the, you know, so you can pull up the archive. It would, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it would just disappear, but, and you hear a voice, but we'd still be, uh, in a sense, putting on, you know, I don't want to say putting on a front, but we would be presenting ourselves in, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, at least, that's not a bad thing. Uh, we have different ways that we present ourselves when we're on the job market, when we're parents, when we're teaching, when we're at church. Uh, and that is done rightly. That is a matter of figuring out what is appropriate and um, to the context that we're in. And I think mm-hmm. if you if you consider being a part of digital communities in that sense, well, I, I think there are ways to do it th- that are healthy. So... Um, uh, so checking our, um, you know, constantly, you know, checking your heart and thinking, okay, am I, um, am I, am I doing this to craft an, an identity to like promote a specific image of myself? Or am I talking about this because I just want to share something funny, mm-hmm. uh, or I just want to connect with someone or because I want to contribute to something mm-hmm. or because, you know, I, I want to share some life event. Um, you know, I, I really don't want to go back to the time when my acquaintances from 20 years ago would have just absolutely dropped off the map. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that on Facebook, a uh, friend of mine from high school who I really don't have time to, to have phone calls with, I'll know when they're, you know, when they have a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know. I, lo- I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to miss that. I think right. that's a good I think that's a good thing. You know, so there's some low-hanging fruit. Don't be afraid to to share bad stories about your parenting or, you know, right. <laughs> your life or your day. I mean, there's some people where it's like if you look at their Instagram feed, it's very obvious that they are spending considerable amount of time, you know, crafting this perfect mm-hmm. image mm-hmm. that you know can't be reality. And uh, so, I don't know, just don't do that. I think right. is a good point. <laughs> Don't overly craft yourself online and make all of us feel bad. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just do that. Remember people are, are human online and, you don't have to always say stuff. Uh, you don't have to contribute to everything. Um, restraint. Um, yeah. Restraint. Yeah, absolutely. 
Right. Like the same virtues that we would want to inculcate in our own lives and our own children, we can also participate online. Right. Yeah. Because if, yeah, I mean, if you go over to, and I've, I've had this experience, you know, I've, I've been to a church, you know, like a Bible study or something, and I go over and, you know, when you go to somebody's Bible study at their house, you, you want to feel welcome. But um, I've been to houses where it's so clean mm-hmm. and upper middle class <laughs> that I, I don't feel welcome. Like, I feel like this, this actually makes me feel uncomfortable um, because like, I feel like I'm tiptoeing around mm-hmm. and um, it is so dramatically different from the chaos of my home with three small right. children that yes. like, I just, I, I, we're not in the same world. Right. Um, so, th- yeah, so you're right. Like this can happen at, you know, in our personal lives, you know, embodied, there are embodied forms of that too. Right. Um, so, so we still yeah. try, we, we're they're cleaning up our virtual lives, we're cleaning up our actual houses and not being <laughs> who we are. Yeah, I yeah. think that's great. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear what is your laundry routine? And the reason I ask this is because I think big things matter. And the Finding Holy podcast mm-hmm. wants to talk about ideas and culture and God and internet habits and all these sorts of things. But we also know things like our to-do list and our work and our jobs and our laundry routines matter too. So I want to just ask my guests, tell me your laundry routine. <laughs> um. Or do you have a routine uh, right now, or is it just insanity and throw it all in the washer? Um, I mean, that's kind of mostly, um, <laughs> so my wife does the laundry. My daughter, this is her chores. She mm-hmm. sorts the laundry. Doesn't, I would not say fold. She's, she's she eight. I would not call yep. it folding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just <laughs> sorting into baskets that yep. get carried up. I think in our bedroom right now, I personally have uh, three, maybe four laundry baskets. Nice. One from like a month ago, one from with clothes from like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and then mm-hmm. one from like a couple days ago. Nice. And um, they're, sl- they're slowly running out of clothes. Right. Um, and when things are good, I'll be like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going right. to put all of them away. Yes. But so does your laundry does pile... Happen. Does your laundry pile or all those multiple baskets, does it reflect like your inner reality? So it's funny because I love, uh, so getting dressed and Mm -hmm. uh, in the morning is kind of my uh, calming time. I'll Mm -hmm. often listen to uh, an audio version of the Bible Mm -hmm. and I'll spend like 10, 15 minutes, like picking out the shirts and the ties and the sweaters and the shoes and the socks. And it's like, I I tell my students that because they'll say like, Oh, Dr. No, you always look like you dress really nice. And my answer to that is that's because it's the only thing in my life. I feel like I have control over like, Mm -hmm. uh, Everything else is just, just like chaos, like grading is overwhelming, preparing right. for class, our house is a mess, mm. like uh, the kids need, you know, discipline and it's, everything is chaos. But I'm like, I will take 10, 15 minutes mm. and I will dress nicely. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the one of the things that my wife finds funny about it is that I often don't get shirts hung up. And I certainly don't iron. I don't, I, it, it, I can't don't iron. iron There's either. just the, yeah. No, the kids would not get to school. I would not get out the door if I tried to iron. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, there's this weird thing where I care about dressing nicely, mm-hmm. but I literally have just piles of clothes in baskets oh, I totally on the get ground. That. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, I guess it does describe how uh, my, <laughs> my inner the life. State there's of this, there's this, <laughs> yeah, there's this, this element of like, well, I've got this stuff. It's clean, but it's thrown here. And then also mm-hmm. I'm going to create some beauty in mm-hmm. order mm-hmm. over here. Just a small little pocket of beauty in order because right. that's all I can do if right. I want to sleep. Right. Yeah, but I think no, I think there's so much truth in that still. Like the art of getting dressed and the art of picking out a nice outfit is something that not only is like self-expression, but it's also a gift to your students and to your family. Um, I think too, right? It's like this is how I'm presenting myself to you, and it's a gift to you, and it also helps me feel like I'm participating in things like beauty and order when I know that the world feels right. chaotic. So I really do think yeah. like. Our laundry routines have something to tell us about all of those big ideas about personal identity, about where we fit into community. So I love that. Thanks for sharing about your yeah. disgruntled laundry routine. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Alan. Um, his book is called Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. It just came out with InterVarsity Press this last summer. Alan is also a professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University. He is the editor-in-chief of Christ and Pop Culture and has written for various and sundry places all over the internet. So we will be excited to hear your laundry routine too. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. you just love that does anyone else have a laundry routine or lack of routine like alan i loved what he was saying about interacting well in online communities but how do we actually do that well thanks for sticking around i have those three questions i promised you as you consider how to interact well in online spaces here they are number one what are my triggers Do you go to Twitter when you're feeling angry or sad or lonely? What are other ways that you might deal with your emotions? Two, what is a healthy amount of time to be online? And do you have times where you're consciously turning off? Three, what practices might I take up to engage with God, myself, and others just this week? I'd love to hear if you try a walk just like Alan does. These are great questions to discuss with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, your small group. I'd love to hear your answers. And as always, they're always on the show notes at aahales.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. You're going to love my next episode too with author Jen Pollock Michelle. Make sure you subscribe to the Finding Holy podcast today. And when you leave a review, I have a giveaway for you. It's a Finding Holy journal. And the first 20 reviews on iTunes, you'll get that sent directly to you. Because things matter. But so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.